Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Well, hallelujah. We're beginning a brand new series called I Can See. I Can See. And, uh, you know, on the screen we have a little eye chart for you. I don't know if any of you are like me. Um, Yeah, it may be a little blurry for you. Uh, Recently, uh, something, I mean, uh, happened. I've always had better than 20-20 vision, but there's something about in the mornings. I I, I can't read here now. I just kind of have to extend it out a little bit. And I got these nifty little reading glasses uh, uh, (laughs) now. But I cannot tell you how important it is that we be able to see spiritually. Being able to see what God is doing in our lives and in our church and in our community is imperative, I believe, to partnering with Him to answer the call of God. Now, we spent some time over the, the last few weeks about how do we navigate transition. I encourage you to go back and listen to that series. Because if you don't have a personal vision for your life, that series will actually teach you how to receive one from the Lord. So go to InvernessCalvary.com. You can go and subscribe to the podcast if you have a smartphone. And then you can listen to that sermon as it is updated. So I want you to understand that God wants you to be able to see spiritually. He actually says that when anyone comes to Christ, the veil that was over their eyes is removed. Because those who don't receive Christ, they actually have a veil that remains. And it says in 2 Corinthians, it says, and they cannot see. But you who are in Christ, you can see. Say it with me, I can see. Now see, sometimes we just have to confess what God is saying about us so faith begins to rise. Now, how important is it that you and I see? I shared this verse with you in the past series, and I want to highlight it again. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. How, how important is it that we have vision? Extremely, because there are people literally perishing because they, they don't see. They don't see. They don't see the value in Christ. They don't see the value in redemption. They don't see the value in being forgiven by God. They don't see. But those who do, they actually experience the abundant life that Christ offers. Proverbs 29, 18 in in the New King James says it this way, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. That actually means that word vision actually is referring to a prophetic insight, a picture revealed from the Holy Spirit, and a, a sense of direction from God that you know where you're going. It says, and when there isn't a a sense from God that you know where you're going, people cast off restraint. It's the idea of a a wild horse with no bridle. It just runs wherever it wants to run. And I believe God wants his church, and especially Calvary Church, to be able to say, I can see. I can see. Well, a few years ago, Our staff went up uh, in the mountains of 
of uh, North Carolina. And we were up there in a great moment of transition. We used to carry a mission over this house called Share, Care, and Prepare. It was really, really good. It was awesome. Uh, easy to say, rolled off the lips, but all of us, including our former senior pastor, felt like we were in a moment of transition, a moment where God was about to shift the culture of, uh, uh, of Calvary. And up there on that mountain, we, uh, let's just say as a staff, uh, wrestled with God. We wrestled with God. We prayed and we believed. And, 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 and from those moments where we were up there on that mountain, secluded and away from our families, uh, we came away with a mission statement that, that we thought and we believed was God's assignment over our house. Many of you walked by it this morning, maybe you read it before, maybe you, you haven't. It says this, together, extravagantly loving Jesus, together, selflessly loving people. That is our mission here at Calvary Church that we would extravagantly love Jesus, but not just one or two, all of us together. That we would, all of us together, learn how to live so selflessly and so honestly that we would reflect Christ very well. You see, it was, uh, it was in that moment that after we were so excited, we came home and we were sharing you know, this with our wives. Most of our wives said, well, uh, well, that's the greatest commandment. We're like, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you went away and you spent all these days and you're wrestling with God and you came back with the greatest commandment? That's what you came back with? And we're like, yeah, that's what we came back with. <laughs> you say, what's the greatest commandment? It's from Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 through 40. It says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He says everything in the scripture hangs on those two statements. And I will say it to you this way. Everything in Calvary Church hangs on those two statements. You see, our mission is if we if you were to define it with one word, it would be this, our culture. What is it that we believe God wants people to experience the moment they pull into the parking lot. The moment that they encounter you as an extension of this church in the community. What, what does your employer experience in you as a culture? We said, this is it. We want this as a culture to define us. This mission would absolutely explain to anyone who walks in the door, oh, that's why they do that. I can see. So today we're going to talk about that first statement together, extravagantly loving Jesus. I believe in my estimation, and it is only that, that the most extravagant act of love and worship is found in Mark chapter 14. 
It's in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, and it is when Mary, Lazarus' sister, breaks an alabaster box on the head of Christ. And today, I, I want you to hear about extravagant love, not so that you can collect notes and get insights about the Scripture, but so you can adopt these as your values and embrace this as our culture, as church. Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 9 says this, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Then there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply, but Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do good, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. I want us to pray. Lord, I pray today that you, Lord, would Lord, pour into us by the Holy Spirit extravagant love for you. Father, we say we're so deficient in this area. Would you open our ears to hear and open our hearts to receive what you're saying to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. There's five things that I want you to know about extravagant love that is going to help you understand the culture of Calvary. First thing, extravagant love is public. Extravagant love is public. Verse 3 says this, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, you have to understand that in this moment, when this anointing was taking place, it was not a planned moment for anointing Christ. It was actually a planned feast. It was a planned celebration of, for Christ. But it was a very public moment. It was a public moment. And I want to say this to you today. Um, there is a moment for all of us when love becomes public. Do you remember that moment when you first met your future husband or wife? You know, you remember that moment? You know, you're like, okay, yeah, I could see some possibilities, but your lips were closed. You didn't actually reveal that, especially if you're a guy with any game. You didn't actually come out with all of the cards right away. Uh, those of you who do that, those of teenagers, I'm not trying to train you. I'm just, just telling you, uh, you just kind of keep it under control regardless of what's going on inside. But, you know, I, I, I can remember, um, you know, uh, when, I, when I, I met 
my soon-to-be wife, and I didn't know that at the time. I met her, and I was like, oh, wow, hmm, that's cool. You know, she's, she's awesome. And we were hanging out. You know, I just kind of kept it myself. And everybody would ask, ask me, hey, hey, uh, what's going on? What's going on here? We see what's happening. I'm like, we're just chilling. We're just chilling. They were like, uh-uh, I see it. I see what's happening here. I mean, I see what's going on. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're just chilling, man. We're praising God. We're doing stuff. Just chilling. But there was a moment when love became public. I remember because, you know, I was like, God, you have got to help me stop driving this little pile of trash that I'm driving because I want a wife and I cannot find a wife in this car. <laughs> I was shallow. I'm sorry. That's where I was. I was like, this car, this little Hyundai Excel, okay, this little I mean, this, this thing was awesome. It had been broken into. The lights wouldn't stay on. I had to hold them on while I'm driving at night. It was glorious. It was awesome. Uh, I was like, God, this has to go. If a wife is coming, this has to go. And I remember I went and bought uh, brand new, but brand new. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know Dave Ramsey, but I went and bought, you know, a brand new Mitsubishi Eclipse right off the lot, real red. Smooth. I mean, you touch it. You know how a new car feels new on the outside? You're like, oh. Yeah, so I bought this Mitsubishi Eclipse. I remember when love was starting to go public, I, I said, well, where do you live? We'll go out, you know, and I, I drive out to this place. It's way out in the country in North Lakeland. I pull into this place. I've got my, my new car, and, uh, and, and she starts to come out, and she's grabbing a, a, a couple of uh, uh, slices of pizza. i never forget it. She's walking out, and she has these slices of pizza, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, no joke, this is not a joke. This is my life. For a 400-pound pig. 400 pounds. Big. Comes running out of the woods at her. And I had just gotten out of the car, and I see this scene. This giant pig is running at her. I'm like, and she sees the pig, and she starts running at my car. She comes and she, 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 and I see her running out my car. I'm like, well, I'm getting back in the car, you know. I got back in the car, shut the door. And she jumped in the car still, you know, actually, uh, while running, she had taken one of the pieces of the pizza and flung it. The pig ran over and ate the pizza and then came to the car. I don't know how a 400-pound pig stands up on its back legs, but it did, and it stuck its hoofs on my brand new car and slid down. <laughs> I was like, I'm killing the pig. I don't know anything about the pig. Turns out the pig got loose from a neighbor's house and the next day a guy driving by stops at the gate and says, is that you pig? And the pig came running and jumped in his truck. <laughs> I never forget. I was at that, uh, uh, you know, I was at that gas station and I'm checking out my car after I'd driven away. I'm thinking, oh, this is, you know, and, and you know, my wife is here. She's like, you must really like me. <laughs> if you come back after this, you, you really like me. Now, I, I, I want to I say this to you. Um, you know, love always goes public. 
There's always a display. There's always a public display of love. And this goes for your relationship with God as well. You say, I'm not that kind of person. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Listen, her love, Mary's love, was greater than the shame of breaking the norms. Her love was greater than the shame of breaking the norms. You see, she was going into another person's house, interrupting a meeting. You just don't do that. Not only that, in this time, she's a woman and she's doing it. And she comes in, and because of her great love for Christ, her love goes public. And I want to say to you, church, our love for God has to be public. It has to be public. Luke 9, 25, Jesus' great teaching says this, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his own Father's and of the holy angels. Listen, this is what this is saying. This is not just an issue of shame. This is an issue of love. Because love always triumphs over shame. Every time. You don't care how silly you look with the one you love. You just say, I just want to be with you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of you. And none of us in here, especially on a Sunday morning, should ever be ashamed to show extravagant love to our Savior. So extravagant love is public. I want to say this, extravagant love is costly. Verse 3 says, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. You see, spikenard actually was a spice that is only found in India and Nepal. So this was imported, very, very expensive, worth a year's wage. So in today's vernacular, it's tens of thousands worth of dollars in a moment given. It's costly. I can remember when I first gave my life to Christ, one of the things that I recognized in my life is the people that I had been running with uh, since I was a young boy. I wasn't going to be able to run with them in the same way. We were running in opposite directions. And, and all of a sudden, the, the, the Christianity in reality became costly because I looked at the friends that I loved dearly I love them dearly like brothers. We did all kinds of crazy things together from since we were so young. But at 21, all things became new in me, and they had not yet in any of them. And I knew that there was something I was going to have to offer God as a seed, and it was the seed of my friends. I can remember actually spending some moments very alone Feeling like, God, am I the only one? Why did you open my eyes? Why? And, 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 and the Lord, in his grace, somehow changed my prayers to saying, Lord, 
would you send me a friend, just one friend, who's experienced what I've experienced? And I prayed that prayer for, I don't know, weeks and months, and I had been going to church and plugged in and really just hadn't found that person. But I will never forget that there was a guy, one of the first ones that I ever led to the Lord, um, he was not yet saved. He called me on the phone. He said, listen, I've got this other friend, and he's talking just like you now. I'm like, what do you mean? No, you know all the, I mean, he's really Jesus, and you're really Jesus. Y'all, y'all got to get together. And I'll never forget the three of us went out to lunch, and, and we, we knew who, who each other were kind of just by a, a, an acquaintance. And um, we talked the whole entire lunch. And the third friend just like, he didn't say a word. It's like there was this instant connection, even to this day. Uh, we pick up the phone. Couldn't have talked to each other in maybe six months. And there's this, just this instant bond there. I want to say this. Extravagant love will cost you something. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's the only kind of love we should express to Christ. David, the most extravagant worshiper of all time, says these words when he's looking for a place to give God an offering, to offer burnt offerings and to seek the Lord. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 24, verse 24, it says, Then the king, David, said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. See, he had just been offered to be given everything that he needed. He said, the, the threshing floor is yours, king. The oxen are yours. And David said, no, no, no. I will not offer worship that doesn't cost me something. There is a principle here that costly worship, God loves it. God loves costly worship. Listen, if, if your worship it means that you hit your knees in your freshly dry cleaned clothes, if it only costs you a dry cleaning bill, that's not costly worship. But if the person that you're, you're trying to reach is here or that coworker here shows up in church or your boss is here and you're worried about your reputation and you still hit your knees because you extravagantly love God and you're, God, I love you more than my job, my reputation. God, I love you more, I love you more, I love you more. That's costly worship and that's extravagant love. Today, believers in the Middle East say, I will give extravagant, costly worship even if it means my life. Extravagant love is costly, but it's worth it. Extravagant love is also controversial. Verse 4 and 5 and Mark 14 say this, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. You should write this down. There will always be a contrary voice to extravagant worship 
because it challenges personal behavior. There will always be a contrary voice to extravagant worship because it challenges personal behavior. Here's what I mean. These people who were criticizing Mary, they had been walking with Jesus for years. In another, in another gospel, it says, and Judas was criticizing, but I believe it was more than Judas. There will always be this voice. Ah, uh, it doesn't really take all of that. Nah, you know, they're just, they're just emotional. I believe we're all emotional. Have you ever blessed your hand with a car door? And in that moment where your hand is throbbing, pain searing, you just thought, I'm not going to react because I'm not an emotional person. No. We're all emotional when we've been touched. And extravagant love is controversial. You'll always hear verses like, uh, you'll calm down soon enough. Or how about this one? There is a worship. You can worship God in a more productive way. That's basically what they were saying here. By the way, you, you took this and you broke a year's wages. And it says, what a waste. Do you know who was saying this? Religious people. Religious people. Religious people don't always get extravagant love. People who live in relationship and understand that that's what God has been restoring all along, they understand. And I want to ask you this question today. Have you ever worshipped in a way that was controversial? That challenged other people to say, I don't dance that way, so uh, we don't need to do that. Come on, this is just fine. Gosh, the singing's going on a little too long. By the way, by the way, I love coffee, but this is not worship. It's good coffee. You'll be awake but you'll be asleep on the inside. I'm not saying it's all the time, but do you have times? Has there ever been a time where your worship has been criticized? I wonder, extravagant love is controversial. And it exp its expression doesn't only challenge the unbeliever. I think unbelievers 
look at genuine worship and say, well, that makes sense. If they really believe that he's the God that created everything, that they fell away from him, and that that same God put on flesh, came down to earth, gave his only begotten son so that that relationship could be restored, and all they have to do is believe, and they can be restored and forgiven. Yeah, that explains the dancing. That explains the the worship. That explains the giving. That explains it. It's costly. That explains it. Has your giving ever been controversial? It's gone outside the lines because giving is an act of worship. Extravagant love is controversial. I say fall in love with God. And let the opinions of man fall where they may. We're going to silence those voices through extravagant love. I want to say this, extravagant love is within reach. Extravagant love is within reach. Verse 6 through 8 says, But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me, you do not have always. Look at verse 8, the very beginning. She has done what she could. What powerful and profound words our Savior said of this moment. She has done what she could. God is asking you for something. God is not asking you for something you can't give. Only what you can. God is not asking you for something you can't give. But like Mary, only what you could. I think most of the time in our walk with God, as an indictment against ourselves, against our flesh, against our influences in culture, most of the time, we choose a little easier way when it comes to living our faith in an extravagant way. But this moment, Jesus said it was within her reach. Mark chapter 12, Jesus observed another woman worshiping in a way that was within reach. Verse 41 says, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, in all that she had, her whole livelihood. I want to put it to you this way. This widow, she gave what she could. And based upon my knowledge of who God is, God met every single one of her needs. She gave what she could. And I, 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 this is not a message on, on giving by any means, but giving is an act of worship. 
and returning the tithe, that belongs to the Lord. But the way that you sow into missions and the way that you sow into benevolence and the way that you, you, ble- you bless the waitress, especially after a 14-day fast, you ought to be blessing the waitress in the restaurant. I mean, some of you are like, so you've been saving a gift card, you know, and the time is ticking from Christmas and you've been fasting ever since, you know, and you're like, man, but here's what you got to do. You got to bless her. It's within reach. Sometimes this is what we say. Oh, that service was so poor. No tip. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm so redeemed. I cannot help. My minimum is 20%. Minimum. Sometimes much more. Are you sitting at the table going, you know what, how much can I save for myself? Or how extravagant can I just release love today? It is within reach. God is not asking you for something you can't give, only what you can. And we as believers can give him extravagant love. Remember the greatest commandment. All of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. That is not pie in the sky. We sometimes uh, relegate that as something that we're shooting for that we can never hit. No, no, no. It's within reach. That kind of love is within reach for the believer. I want to finish today by saying this. Extravagant love is a blessing to God. The last half of verse 8 says this. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. You see, I think Mary was very surprised by that statement from Jesus. Because this is Jesus visiting Bethany after she has raised her brother from the dead. I I could be wrong, but I actually think she brought this costly oil and broke it on Christ in thanks. And said, you're worth way more than what I was giving before. My brother who was dead is now alive because of you. And she takes what she could, a year's wages, and breaks it over him. And it says from his head, this oil began to flow down. I actually believe with all of my heart she was struck by this statement. She has anointed me for my burial. She had no idea that this moment of of extravagant love would linger for days. Here's what I believe it looked like. As Jesus is in the most crushing moment, just before he is taken away, he is in the garden of Gethsemane, praying, sweating blood. But as he prays, not my will, but yours be done, he breathes in and catches the scent of extravagant love. In a moment, uh, soldiers would be making a crown of thorns and hitting him on the head, tearing his clothes and beating and whipping him. 
And somewhere in that moment, he breathes in extravagant love. Extravagant love of my people. He would be pinned to the cross there, not dying from blood loss, but asphyxiation, pinned high, having to stand up to gasp air. He said seven sayings from the cross. He would look at the thief beside him who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He stands, presses, takes a breath, breathes in extravagant love from Mary and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He extends himself again, breathes in the fragrance of extravagant love and looks out at them and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In a moment after hanging there for what could have been a couple of hours, he, he, he stretches and gasps for air and says, I thirst all while the fragrance of extravagant love was covered, covering him. He, he would actually quote Psalm 22. He would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he feels the crushing weight of separation for the first time in eternity from his father. And as he gasped and said those words, he could smell the fragrance of extravagant love. He would then look down at the one who loved him dearly that leaned in on his chest. And he would see his mother crying, his beloved disciple crying, and he would say, Mother, your son, son, your mother, and breathe in the extravagant love given by one who loved him. And finally, at the last, he would push up, breathe in that moment from Bethany, and with a loud voice cry out, it is finished, paid in full. You say, how can you be sure that he was thinking about the love? Because Hebrews tells us it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Your extravagant worship blesses God. And you have no idea how God's going to use it. I remember hearing this story about a pastor who had been laboring in a small town of 532 people. And after years and years and years and years of serving and seeing very little fruit, he had grown weary and tired and was about to resign. At the time, the Brownsville revival was going on, so he thought, well, I'll just go there. Maybe God's doing something there. He sat in those services and absolutely nothing happened to him. He sat day after day after day. Except he said, a little hope came. 
And then he saw a man who by all outward appearances looked very put together until God moved on his heart. And that man in his suit and tie found his way to an altar and began to weep and weep and worship and weep. And that pastor said this, I just wanted to get as close to that man as I could because I wanted to be able to worship the way he was worshiping. He got up close and just said, God, I want to love you. I want to live for you. He would go back to his congregation and God would release a revival that's still going on today in Missouri through World Revival Church. His name is Pastor Steve Gray. Led one of the greatest revivals called the Smithton Outpouring. People came from all over the world to a town without a gas station. Why? Because of one man's worship and extravagant love for God. It unlocked something for other people. I believe that when people walk into this place, our extravagant love for God ought to unlock something for them. It ought to be permission to love God, to express Him, to sometimes even be controversial, to sometimes even be costly in the way that we worship. But most of all, just to be a blessing to God. I love that Jesus says these words. He says, because of your worship, Mary, when they hear my story, they're going to hear your story. When they hear my gospel, they're going to hear your story. That's what he said. Everywhere where you hear my name, they're going to hear yours. And I wonder if God wouldn't raise up a church in a community that when someone brings up the name of Jesus, they don't also, in the same breath, because of the extravagant love that we have for God, which is pure and undefiled and not just about building our kingdom, but about building His. I wonder if in the same breath, they wouldn't say, well, have you heard what God is doing at Calvary? What if when his story is told here, our story is told? He did it for her. An extravagant love unlocked it. I pray that each one of us begin to walk in that same kind of love. I hope you've enjoyed this message from Calvary Church. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and God bless.